Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mexico of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Goat Docker, spelled with umlauts. And I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. Burly Goatman, perpetually dying. <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually failed to do the, the housekeeping promo shit the, uh, mm-hmm. the past couple episodes, so if you guys want to learn the full story of powerful Goatmen docking each other and blaspheming Christ... You gotta sign up on the Patreon or subscribe, start to get access to the Discord server where this is how we spent this is how we spent several hours God, of today. I, like <laughs> for for like the content has gotten you know I'm highly distraction prone, so back in the day I would just like stay off the Discord to not distract myself. And these last couple of weeks the content is so good I can't fucking help it. <laughs> we were like like four or five hours of Discord. Yeah, nuts. Oh mm. Jesus, it was a it was a fucking nightmare, dude. I loved it. Yeah. Every moment. <sighs> a a beautiful a, a beautiful dark twisted fantasy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so what are what are the subscriber tiers if they want to dock with our burly goatman? Okay, so if you just want access to more content for some reason, $3 and up gets you access to the Terminus Prime bonus episodes. $5 and up gets you access to the Terminus Black Circle, our private Discord server where you can learn the the, the deep apocrypha of docking goat men. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, we've got a we've got a really cool episode tonight. We are we are loosey goosey. This is late at Oh, night. there are also a bunch of other tiers. Oh yeah, there, yeah, there's a bunch of other tiers, but those are those are excess. Those are if you want to give more money to Terminus. Ten dollars and up gets you access to voting on the Terminus bonus episodes for Terminus Prime, and then uh, if you're in, <laughs> nobody's at like, or there are a few people at twenty, but they're just people who have subscribed for a really long time who like leveled it up. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, 20, 20 does not actually offer you anything special. <laughs> I, I love that. It's like there's tiers that are just dead. Like you get nothing better than the one before it. But it's like we know you're cool. And mm-hmm. then you can be a really insane person and be uh, literally Danny Filth at $50 a month, which uh, allows you to s- just outright submit a record to review and we do not give a shit what it is we will do a review of it and uh we didn't we didn't we didn't plan for multiple people to actually take it but we've got three currently and we'll have to have a talk at one point about uh how that could be actually very destructive to the show but we'll we'll cover cover that another time um We've got a fucking weird stacked old school Terminus episode tonight. Uh, real 2020 energy. It's it's going to be a long one. We've got a bunch of records to talk about, and they're all over the map musically. You excited about this one? I'm excited about this one. I'm I'm stoked. Yeah. I'm uh yeah I'm I'm ready to roll. This is a good. You know what? This is a very 2020 energy, but I think frankly we've got a better lineup than we could have had in 2020. Like Oh yeah. Yeah. The lineups these aside from that one really eclectic one we did a couple weeks ago, the lineups we've had this year, I've been really really stoked for. Yeah, no. I th- I mean we we finally have it down. It only it only took almost 2 years, but we actually know what the listeners want and what we want. Um 
so to to kick us off, you know, without further ado, we gotta talk just as a little intro piece about a demo I ran across a while back, uh, but it's uh, just now gotten its cassette release on Nuclear War. Now, um, this is the first demo by Paimon Gate titled Seven Legions. Um, so this was released just on YouTube and stuff, I think like a month ago, something like that. But uh, it was known even then that this was going to get a release on Nuclear War Now. The tapes are out now. The vinyl is coming, I believe. And kind of a weird thing. <laughs> Originally, the promo material um, described uh, the personnel of this band. But it looks like all that got edited out after the fact. Mm. Um, but hmm. so, I, you know, I guess they you know, uh, they want to kind of start from ground zero again or something that's respectable. So, uh, that being said, the content of the music will make it very clear to whoever's listening to the show, uh, who this probably is. Um, anyway, so Paimon gate seven legions, uh, excellent demo of old school black death very in the uh, traditional usbm or us black death vein the notes are going to be obvious to anyone who listens uh profanatica havohe demoncy uh von all that sort of thing but what's interesting to me is that it is well one it's excellent i i'm immediately super stoked for this project but it's that, you know, you're reaching back to the origin, as we always talk about on the show. But when you reach back to the origin, you're always informed by what's around you. You know, you can never mm-hmm. perfectly embody 1988 spirit because you're in 2022. You're not forgetting everything around you. Uh, but this is a case where we have a demo of music that is authentically old school, but is also deeply informed and improved by modern technique. Uh, So just to, you know, this is going to be a blind listen for you, right? A a deaf listen, I guess. Um, So let's just listen to uh, one of the samples that I've got off this one. Uh, This is going to be the full song, because it's pretty short, called Cardinal Pain Torment. So let's give this one a listen and then... uh, you can give me your initial impressions. All right.
right, so Black Metal Guy, what are your uh, your your first listening impressions of Paimon Gate? Well, that is very cool. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it is it's much sonically richer than a lot of things in that vein, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's um for some of those are, you know, right? Some things in this primitive black death vein are just underdeveloped, others are deliberately austere, right? Mm-hmm. Um this sounds a lot like that Prosanctus and Fairy we reviewed uh, a couple of years ago, Hypnotic Blood Art, which yeah, yeah. I think I really liked because it had this sort of uh, extreme uh, ascetic primitivism to it, but just this like massive sound, and it kind of sounded like Hellhammer creeping toward Graveland medievalism, yeah, which was yeah. like definitely an ideal for me you liked it a little less because it was a departure from their older stuff right um, uh yeah so for me uh pro sanctus the issue was that i really liked uh their earlier stuff which was taking kind of the pro fanatica format but then moving in a really technical direction mm-hmm. with it so while i respected hypnotic blood art it just wasn't what i was looking for um well. But then, like, other things that would be akin to this would be, like, that Cultum and Teridum record mm-hmm. uh, we covered, I think, in 2020. The Serpent yeah. Throne record we covered last year. Right. A lot of a lot of different stuff. Oh, I mean, this or, is a style. The, yeah. Yeah. So the Cultum and Teridum, right? Those, that and the Prosanctus and certainly the Serpent Throne have a deliberate sort of austerity to them. Yeah, this is much like this is the same basic structures. I mean, you get that sort of the sort of like confident, uh, sort of like um, that dark arrogance. Yes, dark arrogance. You know, sort of confidently brutal, sort of uh, downbeat drumming. Yeah, um, uh, and you get you know get those cascading kind of like. Uh, you know, sort of brutalized Dorian scale riffs, right? Um, mm-hmm. Really cool, uh, basically Dorian scale stuff with like death metal chromaticisms thrown in, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that that's awesome. That core of the music is there, as it might be in those other bands. Um, but there's this was a short track, right? That we listened to a whole track that was two and a half minutes. Two yeah. and a half minutes, yeah. Um, and a lot happened. Um, and the Sonic, um, uh, the last Pro Sanctus had, well, all these bands often have a really densely concentrated sound, right? Mm-hmm. There's just this thick material of guitar and bass or just guitar, yeah, right? Um, and it just sort of like barrels ahead. Here, it's, there's still heaviness and density to it, but there's a lot more, uh, the guitar spreads out vertically a lot more. There's a there's a ton of color to mm-hmm. this music that you don't typically hear in this style. I agree, um, but I I think what you said is important. You know the whole Dorian melody thing. Now that's that's kind of a that is a part of this style. But what I think is important is that a lot of that back in the day, you know, for these traditional kind of primitive USBM mm-hmm. bands, was arrived at very unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Here we're hearing that with the the craftsmanship of a guy or guys who clearly understand exactly how to write those melodies. There's, there's a clarity of form here that was kind of absent in say early nineties USBM. 
Yeah, for sure. I, I get that. It's um, There's like a deliberate thing of like, okay, we're writing things in this kind of like noble sounding martial scale, but deliberately sort of uh, demonifying them in certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a deliberate rather than just corruption. Like, yeah. Right. Rather than just like decomposing a Slayer riff. Yes. Yes. Which they would have done back in the day. Back in the day, maybe you're instinctively decomposing Slayer riffs. Um what these bands all do really well, what they did back in the day, and I guess what they're doing more consciously now, is getting out of that kind of like default metal, what harmonic or melodic minor thing, right? The sort of the thrash. No, yeah, default. Yeah, I, I think you're which a lot right. of the yeah. yeah, which a lot of modern war metal bands fall into. That sort of they accidentally end up playing the sort of default thrash thing. This band is not doing that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that's really cool. But yeah, the, like so density of sound. Let's talk about that part at the end. You heard me as we listened, going like Whoa, <laughs> for like forty seconds, as those sort of like uh, whacked out like chorus leads or something started coming in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, before we got on the show, I was talking about okay, so this is kind of like the uh, the old school U.S. Black Death, but imagine there's sort of industrial technique employed. You, mm-hmm. Using these sort of sound objects as central figures, like defining figures to the song. And the thing is, there's something like that on every single track on this demo. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's a bit like, you know, it's it's sort of like doing the solo as the sound object. Yes, yes. So it's, it's, it's one way of taking the Carrie King solo. But yeah. like, you know, it's, it's, it's using the Carrie King solo... Whereas, like, you know, um, Concrete Winds uses the Carrie King solo as a paradigm for, like, super brutal default speed metal riffing. Mm-hmm. This band is using the Carrie King solo as a paradigm for, like, these kind of, like, creeping atmospheric riffs like that. Yeah, and I, th- I think that what that comes down to, and I would argue is a major part of all the old USBM I think we've talked about this before about the Europeans appreciating them is morbid angel um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who, who I think as you know, I mean, you know, crucify me if you want, I'm a giant morbid angel fan, but as we've done the show more, it, it feels more and more like morbid angel is so central to so many things. Mm-hmm. Um, even outside of death metal in black metal, in all sorts of different styles across the world. Um, so I think the the idea of the solo as a sound object rather than just impressive lead mm-hmm. playing uh, is something that's really embraced here. That makes sense. You can get here; they're getting the same kind of uh, liquid, uh, slithering vibes as a Morbid Angel solo, while deliberately stripping back the technicality. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so speaking of that, speaking of the lead as a sound object, let's listen to a section off one of the longer tracks called the Lord major domo dude. Uh, Also got to say the song titles. Oh, like these are actually, they've read like medieval grimoires or whatever. And, or like people do this sort of superficially, but this band, this are just real sick. This, this is concertedly about hell. Yeah. You're Um, like, you're like, you're like remembering when you were a kid and you're like, oh, this is actually scary. Yeah, this is actually scary and cool. Like, uh, can I just read the tracks real quick? Yeah, go for it. Seven Legions. Okay, pretty typical, but that's just the warm up. Um, Supreme Ceremonial Bailiff. 
<laughs> Cardinal pain, torment. Eh, pretty typical. King Paimon's gate. There we go. Uh, geometry of the inferno. Excellent. The Lord Major Domo and track seven. His offices of wicked command. <laughs> I feel like he could have gotten all of these seven song titles out of the same paragraph of like the Malleus Maleficarum or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's total just like old school grimoire hunting kind of shit. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's really good. There's nothing like um, <clears throat> the whole medieval Satanism thing is very clearly articulated here. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, uh, like we were saying, the Lord Major Domo. Let's listen to a section off this, and there's multiple sound objects to dig out of this one. commit some crimes oh dude i love doing big crimes <laughs> <laughs> like holy shit man like like i mean that that little two minute section right there yeah expresses a world of possibility the, oh geez i love oh there are so many good parts in that he is so good like this guy's a master of the kind of riff writing i basically love most <laughs> clearly defined like indelibly memorable memorable forms with four chords yeah it's incredible and it's like and some of the just ideas that are tucked away in there like um 
little bridge riff that dun, 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 that like almost mm-hmm. bluesy sort of mm-hmm. motorhead riff mm-hmm. but then with the dun, 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 that that dorian conclusion that like standard primitive usbm like mm-hmm. profanatica chord conclusion on it it's a brilliant idea why not just or- do motorhead riffs and then put the demonic ending on them yeah sure <laughs> oh my god yeah or the dum dum i can't remember the exact notes he was hitting i just remember the rhythm dum 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 yeah 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 so, yeah like there's a dun 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 the seven note riff is uh really cool and kind of has that it's got the same rhythm as a really elemental kind of spooky riff which is dun 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 you know yeah like yeah that's yeah. some kind of old that's some kind of very old uh sort of folk riff or some folk melody or something and uh or something it's some kind of stock melody that sounds really spooky and there's a version of it there that's really powerful but i also just love the rolling thing at the end like, oh yeah uh, it's 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 fucking sick like the moment a full length comes out from these guys it's in contention for album of the year i've I've actually written that last riff i've literally written a riff that's like the grinding version of that like the grinding war metal version of that riff (laughs) it's um but anyway yeah this is fucking sick the soloing at the end um someone in the comments wrote uh um, someone needs to tell Morbid Angel to listen to this album for inspiration to get back to their roots. <laughs> hey, it's Kari from Sepulchre Curse. And I'm Yaku. You're listening to Terminus. And we are back from continuing to talk about how sick Paymon Gate is to talk <laughs> now about some more death metal. This time with the split from Rotting Kingdom and Encoffination, Wretched Enigma of Salvation, uh, out on Self Made God Records. Of, which all, is a, of all things, yeah. Which is the Polish sort of grind and Polish death grind and hardcore label. Yeah. Very, very unusual kind of label for this to come out on unusual because both of these bands play in rather different styles both from one another and from the label uh but um you know i guess overall you'd say this is a just a sort of extreme death doom record um but they take very different approaches to this so rotting kingdom is uh we can get into it more in a sec but rotting kingdom is a much more sort of gothic and romantic take on it and encoffination is much more sort of brutal and primitive uh in a way this is kind of like a very terminus record because (laughs) i've long followed rotting kingdom uh you've long followed encoffination uh we both love self-made god and we were tipped off to this by one of our patrons who is friends with the rotting kingdom guys yeah, it's so, it's the ultimate um, terminus record, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we should, um, yeah. So overall, uh, you know, this is this is one of those splits that is, uh, you know, some splits seem just like almost perfunctory thing. Like, okay, we need to release some music to get momentum for the next record. Let's do a split, or like, 
hey, these guys are chill. We've played shows together. Let's do a split. Um, this one seems like they planned it in advance. Uh, mm. And, like, maybe the concept is kind of that they've decomposed the Peaceville Doom Death formula into a single, into, like, two different sides. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to you? Um, Rotting Kingdom, definitely. In Coffination, I have my own ideas about where their sound comes from, but I, I'm sure they're into the most dismal sides of the peaceful thing, definitely. Yeah, maybe, yeah, that's fair. I think they are coming out of a different tradition, uh, but, like, as a shorthand way of explaining this record, imagine the two sides of Death Doom uh, split into the two halves of the record. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so... Um, you know, you've mentioned Incoffination on the show before. Uh, I've mentioned Rotting Kingdom, and, you know, I don't really know Incoffination at all, but, uh, so why don't I, I lead us off with Rotting Kingdom? Um, yeah, we, we, we both, uh, we can both speak to either side of the split. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so these guys are, um, s- s- central to the Lexington, Kentucky scene, which is, uh, not very well known outside of the most hardcore underground USBM and underground metal circles, however, uh, is extremely authentic um, and, you know, something I've respected for a long time and should be better known. And this band should be huge. Um, They've been around since, I think, 2017. They've done an EP and an LP, and now they're doing this. So they've taken their time to mature the sound. the record, A Deeper Shade of Sorrow, made my number 11 for the Terminus Omega list in 2020. Uh, and it really scratches a certain itch for me because they play what, you know, what I call like bulldozer gothic doom death. Um, it's kind of this, uh, it's, it's not really doomy. It's sort of upper mid-tempo driving you know, driving kind of rock beats with double bass, you know, you know, uh, and, um, it seems really influenced by this band October Tide, which was kind of an alternate universe catatonia for a minute in the nineties, shared a member with, shared the main guy with catatonia. Um, uh, it may be also, um, Maybe they're also influenced by November's Doom, which is a band you know better than I know, but I've gone back to recently. You are completely right about the November's Doom thing. Uh, you know, I, I kind of had my doubts when I saw you wrote mm-hmm. that in the notes, mm-hmm. just because I know you're not super familiar, but you're pretty much on the money. I bet November's Doom is kind of central for these guys. Uh, for those who aren't familiar, November's Doom is definitely on the kind of romantic, melodic side of Doom Death, but still has really aggressive, gnarly, more death metal parts in it. Uh, they're kind of singular these days for that style, as far as like better known bands go. Yeah, I remember I heard a bit, you know, I've, I went back to some albums more recently, but I remember when I was just getting into metal, I found some of their shit on like MySpace or whatever, and it definitely had this kind of bulldozering sound. Like it was Death Doom, but like fast and groovy. Um, the, uh, you know, okay, uh, these guys have an influences list on, for the, uh, on the promo for Wretched Enigma. Uh, mm. 
So, um, and you know, maybe maybe it was this was seeded that reference was seeded in my mind by the list. But oh, okay. Riding Kingdom play Doom Death that brings you the memory of British Doom scene and bands such as My Dying Bride or Anathema, as well as Ceremonium, Morgion, Catatonia, Enchantment, and November's Doom. Mm, okay. Uh, and Coffination offer well, 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 you you can read that list later, but they have their <laughs> own very cool list of influences. Um, so. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and so in the past they had this sort of bulldozer doom death thing, and it allowed them to bridge freely into other things. They had a free idea of what could be brought into this style. So you would get kind of parts that were just almost bolt throwery, and you get parts that were all just the goth stuff, almost just direct, like Sisters of Mercy. No clean vocals or anything. Just like you can tell, they really understand the goth thing. Um, mm-hmm. This record seems like a deliberate step away from the the characteristic tempo pushing uh, bulldozer thing, um, and it's a push away and it's a leap away in some kind of an unexpected way, which uh, especially on the first of their tracks, uh, I, I might think I'd like it less, but it's actually just just as cool and pretty interesting. So. Um, should we get to a sample? What? Should we get to a sample? Oh, I, I thought that was the break for a sample. All right. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. You, you had um, that big that big pause. I just hit play. <laughs> oh, all right, all right. So this is, um. so we're going to Misery Eternal. Um, but we're about four, four minutes in. Uh, and this is, uh, yeah, you can hear the sort of, Lower tempos, more rhythmic space, and this is kind of a left turn for them.
So, uh, as someone who hasn't listened really to Rotting Kingdom before this, how mm-hmm. is this distinct from their previous work? Because you were making a point of that. Yeah, well, th- so the heavier part at the beginning, mm-hmm. that would be, that wouldn't be out of place as one of the slower parts on uh, their previous stuff. But on their previous things, those work more as sort of uh, like punctuating moments in various ways, like Mm -hmm. beginning of a track, um, change up in the middle of a track, or like big chorus part where the sort of more open swinging rhythm allows you to make these, you know, kind of big, long, tall architectural doom riffs, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And the sort of goth guitar playing over it, very Sisters of Mercy, is also characteristic of their earlier stuff. So you've got the massive riff sub substratum and then this like bonus part that's this sort of intricate goth lute harmony playing around it that's characteristic of them you know and you could hear the double bass filling in under as it went on Mm -hmm. that also is you know definitely their kind of thing so you get some of the maximalism there but then this sort of i i'm sure they had some parts with a bit of this on their earlier stuff but it really just opens up there at the end and you start to get these you know they're sort of like peaceville doom death leads right but they're cut loose from their foundation and just kind of chasing each other around in the ether um yeah and it sounds almost you know uh it sounds almost hard rock which as you know is a sound that you have more time for than me. Except when it's gothy, then you have all the time in the world for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things about bands like the sisters and fields of the Nephilim was that although they were influenced by like, you know, the sort of post punk goth stuff, which, you know, still had that sort of punk minimalism to it. They sort of broke the stricture against hard rock influence. Mm hmm. And, like, for better and worse, I mean, I think both could be accused of cock, rock, or bloat in certain ways, right? Like, sorry, the Rolling Stones aren't actually cool. But, like, (laughs) um, Pink Floyd's not actually cool. But they took those influences and made cool shit with them, you know? Uh, So here, yeah, so I guess they're using this sort of hard rock thing, but in a kind of textural way. So it starts to almost sound, with the sort of... They're, they're swinging it so much it starts to kind of float and yeah you got that to... you've got that you know swaying twilight feel you know you're having a you're having a very nice ceviche dish on the deck overlooking the beach you know when, when that lead <laughs> kicks in you know and I, I'm not saying that is a bad thing I think that's cool I mean, really, what what I think you're kind of talking around is like oh this is hanging gardens with death metal reinserted. Yeah, no, I think that's a great comparison, actually. Like, a little more... I don't think Hanging Gardens is ever spacey, but this is a lot like Hanging Garden. Um, This song in particular, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, For sure, that's a very good comparison. And, you know, it takes the goth thing so far in the floaty direction that it starts to almost feel like early slow dive stuff, Mm -hmm. which is still very gothy. Like, it almost gets like you're making shoegaze, but with this... But instead of with guitar texture, with intertwining fancy leads, and with like this substructure of Doom Death heaviness still, um, which is a really cool idea. 
And I thought, like, could I listen to a full album of this? And I decided I probably could. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think that's also augmented by the second song. Yes. Um, so it's only uh, two relatively long songs per side. You know, we've sampled off of mm-hmm. all of them. It's only about a half hour total. I would think if there is a criticism for this record, it's I could use a song extra a piece, I think, to really fully develop all the ideas. But all the material here is really good. So as a guy who hasn't heard Rotting Kingdom before, this really struck me off of the second track, The Road of Grief and Ashes. Um, There's some really cool kind of hybrid riff ideas uh, mm-hmm. on Rotting Kingdom side. These seem to be guys that are really interested in the, the liminal space between sort of romantic doom death and more aggressive sort of, you know, maybe autopsy influenced mm-hmm. doom death stuff. Mm-hmm. Doom death versus death doom, if you want to say it like mm-hmm. that. So the road of grief and ashes is heavier and uh, more aggressive. Uh, So let's listen to this section and pay attention to the main obvious riff you're going to hear because it is one of the best riffs on this record completely. So, yeah, uh, I mean, that that main riff, that stem riff from which everything elaborates from is outstanding. Um, And it really all comes down to a really simple modulation, which you pointed out. You think it's like a minor sixth. 
on the bass. So, so, so the main melody is something like doom, da, da, da. Okay, typical so far, doom, yeah. like death humor, doom, da, dum, da, dum, dum. Dum, 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 dum. It sort of hangs up. It should that riff normally descends variations yeah. on that stock thing, and the guitar, the, the guitar hangs suspended in these kind of more dissonant intervals on the end of the riff. I can't frankly hum it because mm-hmm. it's it's sort of elaborate. But yeah, so you were saying there's something about the bass lift that really makes that. And I, I had to listen for it, but you're right. The bass is doing more rhythmic stuff underneath it. And then I think it rises just like, yeah, something simple and just metal, like a minor sixth or something. And it uh, sort of it sort of starts encroaching on the territory of the guitar for a minute. Well, yeah, you, you know, because the bass is just doing this like simple walking bass line holding down the root note. And then there's this uh, this lift like that minor six you were talking about. And all of a sudden it completely recontextualizes the uh, the tension of the riff over it um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a very very simple but very subtle technique um something similar to the kind of shit that we heard when we uh on a bonus episode when we covered that nictalgia record remember all the the kind of like subtle bass manipulation across the riffs on that record i, th- I think so yes yeah um it, it, I really love it when a band can do that. You know, Satanic Warmaster does that a lot, too. Yeah, so there's a lot of subtle technical things you can do with a bass, you know, that, that don't require any, like, special elaborate technique, but have a way of manipulating melodic lines from the guitar around them in this really cool way. And this is a great example of that. And additionally, I really like how this main riff here uh becomes the you know those first four notes become the stem melody of like every riff after it you know everything is distinctly related to that main melody which like they immediately seized on they realized oh this is a fucking brilliant riff how many ways can we extrapolate off of this which is you know that's just good technique if you have something good don't just play it once find different ways to vary it, find ways to play with it and just, yeah, you know, reap the fruits of it. Yeah. So that, that bridges into another thing, which is that everything here is bespoke and intentional. There is no part of this where the musician isn't writing. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know if it's multiple, how many writers are involved, but every single part is, uh, there's nothing that's default or filled in. So um, let's talk about that area where they up the tempo at the end. First, I got to eat my hat. That part has the bulldozer beat. <laughs> um, so, you know, like uh, it, it, it does occur less than it did on the other stuff, but it, it, they, they certainly uh, certainly throw into it at the end of the track, which is sick. Um, as they're doing that... Um, you start to get, um, on the one hand, there's this kind of elaborate, thick lead part. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, um, there's a left channel guitar being played with a like reverb goth effects. I guess probably the same guitar that was doing the Sisters of Mercy embellishment around the riff early in, in the earlier track. Um, there's this like left channel guitar 
and it's um he's like playing like a, a Christian death goth guitar solo over it like um just using a few notes but just kind of like wailing in this sort of just doing these like really intense bends and stuff um with this sort of uh sort of uh gorked tone um and it's subtle to hear but it adds a lot and it's interacting with the main riff and it's this whole other bonus tier of the song that you might not initially even notice uh so yeah this is uh really good yeah no i'm i'm definitely stoked to hear this and i'm gonna have to go back like i i threatened to last time you talked about riding kingdom and actually listen to their last album and i think with the with the range they're experimenting with here i think they're gonna have the last one was just a really sort of focused effort and kicking ass you know this which is great for a first record i think they now have the they've conquered the new sonic territory they need to make a just really sort of a fully fleshed out masterpiece of an album yeah i and i'm we're well we are gonna be here for it you know mm-hmm. anyway in coffination <laughs> all right that's in coffination uh just a <laughs> just a a low, quiet gurgle for 15 minutes. Um, so I am the big Incoffination guy. Uh, love this band to death. I have a t-shirt. I saw them live one time, and it was like if two granite walls were slowly crushing you, but like moving at like glacier speed, like six inches a year kind of stuff. Mm. Um it was awesome. There were two guys on stage, and they were more brutal than six guys, you know, in many other bands I've seen before. So drums and guitar or a drum machine? Uh, drums and guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Incoffination is a sort of, I mean, it's really a band that is a side project of guys who do a bunch of other stuff. Um, the personnel that were there when I saw them was Electrocutioner, you know, uh, Wayne on drums and, uh, Goat from Father Befouled on guitar and vocals. Um, and both of these guys are in Father Befouled together. Uh, both of these guys have been, I think, in a couple things together. Um, didn't we review some record for, well, actually we've reviewed a couple things by guys in this scene. Uh, the Um, Conjureth record. The Conjureth, and we also, it also turned out that there was that, like, kind of wild rock and roll Swedish Black Death record that came out on uh, uh, Sunshine Ward. But I cannot remember off the top of my head what it was, but it was apparently one of the dudes in these bands. Oh, oh, I know the one you're talking about. Shit. Yeah, well, um, I'm looking at the Father Befell members right now. I can find it. Um,. I think it is Thos Ayla. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah, Thos Ayla. Yeah. So, but to describe Incoffination, okay, so it is extremely slow, almost funeral doom, extremely minimal doom death. Incoffination has more to do musically with stuff like 
coffins or uh, anatomia and mm. plenty of bands that aren't from Japan. Uh, <laughs> winter, uh, stuff like that. But basically, it's very extreme, very nihilistic, very ugly, gray, doom death stuff. Um, so obviously, you know, describing that, it's almost torture doom. So I love it to death. And this is your first experience with Encoffination. So what do you think, man? I'm ready to get coffinated. Um, <laughs> to be fully coffin pilled yeah yeah <laughs> uh yeah coffin so the um so yeah i uh found it i i guess the dominant reaction i have here is that this is one of those bands that is so decoupled from conventional ideas of how riffs how to sound yeah they rem that you know this is the thing we've said about certain other bands we really like that they remember that the basic idea of extreme metal was to make things as you know disgusting and violent as possible one yeah or another right <laughs> um and uh they're sort of um really focused on yeah, not on the fetish for the riff that's become so popular, but on um, delivering certain uh, body and mood effects. And, I, of course, that actually leads to more interesting riffs. So, um, uh, here's a good example of a riff that sounds like being um, not so much crushed between two granite walls as, like, ping-ponged between them kind of slowly. <laughs> single quarter note i don't know if there are other symbols for encoffination i think he it was cool when i saw encoffination they were playing with father befouled and wayne was just behind the drum kit for the encoffination set and he just hung out he was like oh we're gonna do the father befouled set this was his warm-up you know Hitting the crash symbol a lot was his warm up for the following set, dude. Yeah, so that riff is is uh, absolutely crushing, right? It's just some nasty chromatics slewing around some nasty chromatics, um, and um, it's got this kind of even though it's very slow, right? You know that the thing I always hate about certain kinds of very slow things is their lack of. Something doesn't have to be fast for me. It just has to have some kind of drive to it. 
mm-hmm. and that is a very slow riff that has a lot of drive to it. Um, and it's kind of syncopated in a way that, um, well, a certain kind of death doom band wouldn't do at all. Like mm-hmm. wouldn't even understand. Um, and it sounds, we were talking about this as we listened to it. it that, that's kind of one of those riffs that exists you know, it, it, it's in touch with a bunch of other bands, but in a way that cuts across genre. Like, it's it's in the meta genre of just really nasty stuff. So, like, to me, it reminds me of the more noise-rocky parts on the new Ride for Revenge. Yeah, I mean, it's it's primordial extreme metal. Like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, like I was saying while I was playing, it was like, Encoffination is closer to Mortician than they are to other doom metal bands. Mm-hmm. Um, the The whole idea of adhering to certain doom death conventions is completely out the fucking window with Encoffination. You know, they're kind of more like um, Reverend Bizarre than some other bands. Like, Reverend Bizarre does shit that's that retarded within a trad doom formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's like uh, Reverend Bizarre was... Uh, you know, there are guys who like trad doom, but they also like being insanely heavy and brutal oh, within oh, that framework. Yeah, no, they're an extreme metal band for sure. That's a very good example of like the epic doom thing being extreme metal. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that it sounds like, uh, well, for people who have listened to the show a lot, one of the closest things that this is to is the Anatomia record from last mm-hmm. year that we mm-hmm. covered, um, which was awesome. Um, but the, the big thing, especially for this next sample that I'm going to play, uh, I think a primary influence for these guys, um, have you ever heard of a band called rigor Sardonicus? Um, I think cause you put it in the notes, but I think only through you, like I've, I've definitely heard the, you've probably like put it on the discord at some point or, or played it for me. Yeah. I, I put it on the discord earlier today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking about it. I was like, Oh yeah. Rigor Sardonic. So Rigor Sardonicus is, um, basically like almost proto incoffination, but like done in the late nineties and going through today. Nobody has ever cared about that band except for, you know, very extreme weirdo doom circles. It's a couple guys from Long Island who just do unbelievably slow death metal, basically. How's it spelled? Rigor, uh, you know, R-I-G-O-R-S-A-R-D-O-N-I-C-O-U-S. C-O-U-S. Oh, yeah. oh, interesting. Okay, because I was like, they're not even on Metal Archives. Okay, there they are. Yeah, well, they have they have guns in their pictures from before it was cool, so you know they're legit. Oh, yeah, they're fucking weirdos, dude. They've just yeah. been doing incredibly slow... Um, it basically, I mean, winter is probably the closest comparison for those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's a primary influence for Encoffination. Just the incredibly glacially slow incredibly brutal crushing you know i mean can you play some for us or should we do that as an interlude let's do it as an interlude just so we stay on task yeah i will you will like the interlude i i I already knew i was going to play a rigor sardonica song as the interlude after this but anyway so imagine this crushingly slow incredibly minimal not beholden to the standards of what a quote-unquote doom band should be, 
and then listen to a sample off in Coffination's Agonal Soul. What fucking nightmarish music, man. Like, I, I, I love um, I love when people do doom metal as extreme metal, which is yeah. a thing that's, like, almost forgotten nowadays, that doom metal is not, you know, for your you and your girlfriend to, you know, kiss to. You know, it, it, it's supposed to be, you know, you can do doom metal that's, like, brutal and weird and uncomfortable. And Incoffination does that better than almost anybody these days. I mean, just the sparseness. When everything drops out, you're just sitting on those big open notes. Ugh, dude, there's nothing like it out there today. That's, I mean, it's... Okay, the the real, like, a part that really struck me is when his growl verges into a, a, a chant. Yeah. He's, got, he's so focused on the... um the deep guttural thing and not on being loud that it seamlessly turns into a goth vocal in the <laughs> like like it's it's like the most extreme goth vocal ever which makes it pair really well with rotting kingdom uh but also just the thing about that is like almost it's almost like they just said okay during this part we're gonna play notes but they're going to be completely arbitrary well there's also the something that's interesting like in that that break part toward the end Mm -hmm. of that sample you know you've just got the drums and you've got the 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 plucked notes yeah and even the growls it's all 
even though it's been compressed together, it's very quiet, isn't it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a weirdness to that. There, it's so heavy, but it's so quiet at the same time. This mastery of this sort of like insidious dynamic quality is is pretty unique to this band.
And we are back from talking about how the death metal guy's cat has borderline personality disorder to discuss Hexapoda Triumph by Downcross. Oh, he's such a bad boy. <laughs> <laughs> on, uh, on Kavum Atrum Rex. Yes, and so we are here to discuss bad boys from Belarus. Um, this is a weird record. Uh, I'm really glad I found this. This was a random band camp find. Um, you were attracted the, by the album art, weren't you? Which the is album art is fucking sick. It, yeah, how would you describe it? Oh, it's a a a horrible uh, a horrible fly man with various occult symbols carved into him, stabbing the world, surrounded by other dirty insect boys with various weapons. Yeah, this is um, this is some serious actually likes metal shit. Um, this is um, uh, yeah, the cover is fantastic. They they it's an in, totally independent release, but these guys I don't know if they designed it or if they had a friend who did it. Cover art by Sparta Plog or Roy Reese. Well, Roy nailed it. And, well, isn't you know, it these uh, guys are releasing? Isn't it released but, on a Cavum Atrum Rex? Or? Yeah, so I don't know Cavum Atrum. Who is that? Oh, sorry, sorry, independent. Yeah. Good point. Oh, well, um, Cave of Matrim has only released Downcross, so I guess it's their own imprint. There, there you go. So it's um, so it's a it's a very professionally self-released thing. And they've got this awesome cover art, and they've already put out sick merch, which I guess is fair game if the music is this good. So let's talk about it. Um, this is like, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a two-guy band, um... And the, the track titles radiate a similar insanity. For instance, um, the, the sort of, uh, the lead single was Alpha Beast World Murderer. Um, and so when I, when I clicked on that, um, I listened to that and was immediately like, oh, this actually is as cool and bizarre as it seemed to be. Uh, and, and I wrote in our notes, um, Whacked out, really angry black metal. From the promo track, primary influences appear to be Migla and Sonic Youth. Um, that's really just that track, but there's something about it. Um, what would what what would you say of the overall? What would you say the overall sound here? This is pretty all over the place, but seems to have a through line to it. I think that through line is mayhem, um, especially hmm. like both early and late. I think these are guys that appreciate Grand Declaration and the stuff after it. Um, there is an obvious streak of sort of black and roll stuff, but not in the sense that you might be imagining. There's these are very dynamic songs on this record. Mm -hmm. Um, both musically and in terms of mood. Like, this is... It's weird to describe a black metal record in this way, but it's very emotionally expressive. There's uh, mm -hmm. a lot of uh, a lot of interesting shades of feeling that are explored on individual songs. I think that all of these tracks are supposed to be kind of distinct stories, in a way. They have very kind of narrative, flowing constructions... They might not seem entirely sensible the first time you hear them, but on repeated listens, they really gel together a lot better. Um, as far as musical comparisons, I would say it's 
it's a lot of mayhem. It's a lot of sort of two thousands black and roll stuff, and it's informed by a lot of like more modern melodic stuff as well. Yeah, so I mean, you're gonna have to show me the mayhem thing. That was not my first thought, but we definitely somewhere on their promo material they say something about which I can't find specifically. Maybe it was on like Bandcamp messages or something, but they say something about like they don't. They say something kind of something like black and roll it's some sort of similar blank and roll label um but uh so they almost maybe don't even they didn't they almost maybe don't even think of themselves as a black metal band strictly Mm -hmm. um but um i think the this kind of outmoded black metal black and roll style right was connected with a lot of very static kind of slow parts of early Dark Throne song songs or slash uh, have you know uh, Satan for Fend later Dark Throne songs um, and for everything that was good in that style there was like twenty five things that were terrible right? yeah uh, so it was a sort of a trend from the trench coat days right the early two thousands or the two thousands all of them. Um, but this band definitely takes that as a starting point. And we've started to hear that a little bit more. Um, so a band that we both like in that style, I think is really good, is Avski. Uh, and you can hear the attitude being similar here to Avski. The sort of like, uh, you know, fuck your values, fuck your beliefs, sort of nuclear bomb the whole world, fuck it man kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, similar, you know, intense misanth, intense non you know, so many bands describe themselves as misanthropic and what the fuck do they mean, right? But this is just like, you know, spitting at random strangers in the street kind of shit. Yeah. Um, Avski had that. Um, and the way they seem to do that is, well, the weakness of a lot of that music was that, you know, the riffs were terrible. Um, very. <laughs> like, all, like, with unerring accuracy, they always landed on the worst possible riff. Yeah, just take kind of like Dark Throne riffs and like try to make them sort of like bluesy. Yeah. Mm. Um, but so this band understands that limitation. Uh, and it's like they're using black and roll as a format to mean heavily mid paced stomping stuff that, or heavily mid paced stuff that isn't modern sort of oi based stomping black metal, right? mid-paced groove black metal that has blasting parts, but the blasting parts are strictly for punctuation and big riffs, and it's not even fast blasting. Um, uh, And so they've got this idea of a form, really general formal idea, a framework, and then they've got the idea of this mood they're trying to deliver, of like total spite and insanity. And in between that, they just fill it in with all sorts of different, they fill that form in with all sorts of different content. So that song to song, you're going to get a bunch of different kinds of big riffs. Um, and uh, it, it, it gives the record, it's one of those things that really does sound like they listen to everything. And they've kind of thrown everything in here, but it never sounds superficial and eclectic. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to draw attention to is, you know, you talked initially about the idea of, you know, as you described in the notes, like, oh, McGlaw meets Sonic Youth. I, I think the Sonic Youth thing kind of applies, but from a, a, a different direction. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, maybe the idea that these are guys who are listening to, say, experimental rock, post-punk, weird kinds of hardcore, but they're not taking those things for granted. They're right. like, 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 say these guys are listening to, let's say, a goth band like Suicide, and they're like, oh, this is supposed to be pissed off. And weird. Oh, no, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Like, th- let, we should listen to your sample because this is a really good example of this. So the, you sampled from the, the lead single track, Alpha Beast World Murderer. And the core thing about this was, like, a part of this really does sound like Sonic Youth riffing anywhere from, what is it, Halloween to, uh, um, what's that? So- sorry, wait, 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 uh. I like Some, how you're like, which one was it? Yeah, I'm going to fucking know about Sonic Youth. <laughs> well, I do. I do. Bad Moon Rising. No, me, um, me. <laughs> oh, oh, I was saying it to myself. Um, ba- Bad Moon Rising. Um, you know, they start to get really, uh, that's a very gnarly record, but like anything from that through, uh, um, through Day- Daydream Nation is particularly gnarly. Daydream Nation has a much nicer production. But, like, there's a lot of really gnarly, sort of dissonant, sort of, uh, you know, uh, prepared guitar tunings on that. And um, this record does that kind of thing. There are even tracks on Daydream Nation that sound kind of like Slayer. Hmm. Um, like, like, Cross the Breeze is basically their take on a Slayer song. And the only thing that makes it not super gnarly is the kind of, like, fuzzed out, more gentle production. Um, this band takes the ugliest parts of Sonic Youth in that time and, uh, um, makes sort of, uh, really nasty rock and black metal riffs with it. Yeah. Um, so Alpha Beast World Murderer. I didn't realize this was the, uh, the single off the record, but, uh, ended up sampling it anyway. So I, I think that like, for instance, the, the opening riff on this sample is extremely g- grand declaration to me. Okay. Uh, then we're going to get into uh, some more of that kind of post-punk McGlaw stuff from there. But mm-hmm. um, I think the mayhem thing will be obvious, like with me pointing it out. And then let's dig into the kind of outside black metal stuff we're hearing. Thanks a lot to you. 
so after hearing that with me kind of noting the idea of mayhem, like Grand Declaration specifically for that opening riff, does that make a little more sense to you? Yeah, the opening series of riffs, the sort of like big swinging six, eight ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, the first of those is that kind of like uh, the Norwegian, it's the typical Norwegian take on the Children of the Grave riff, but like uh, with much skronkier intervals. Yeah, you gotta, right? you gotta do that skronky descending arpeggio, man. That's like, that's, that's classic blasphemer stuff. I get that the mood they're going for throughout is very grand declaration of war, just sort of pure spite. Yeah. Um, so in terms of the McGlaw thing, I can definitely see that as being a possibility, but there's, there's something about this whole record that makes me think that's not a primary influence. Um, I don't have any evidence to back that up, but I was listening to this and I was thinking, a lot of the stuff that sounds like McGlaw, you could probably get there from Enslaved in particular, um, especially their mid-era, more proggy stuff. Because Enslaved actually, thinking back, did a lot of McGlaw-style things before McGlaw really popularized it. Um, I just don't get the sense that these are guys necessarily really interested in very popular black metal trends. I can be completely well, off base with that, but I, well, I certainly think the thing that sets this record apart is that they're not like enamored of Migla. Yeah. They're not like, they don't, they're not certainly trying to be that band and they don't want to be that kind of band remotely. Um, and they listen to a ton of different shit. That's much older and grittier. Yeah. I can sort of hear, does Enslaved have those big kind of open minor kind of hooks? I don't remember that. Yeah, I mean, you got you got to listen to all those mid-era records like Isa. When are you going to listen to... I, I listen to Rune. Um, Rune doesn't have those. Uh, Rune, not to the same degree. Isa Rune has, has some, like, cool, like, Rune has cool riffs, but to me, like, no spirit. Listen to Isa. That's the record I always talk. I talk about that on like a three month rotation on this show. You do, you do, One you day do. you're going to listen to it. <laughs> well, so I, I have no doubt. De- the point is like these guys, I mean, they also seem like kind of older dudes. They might be older than us. Um, mm-hmm. And so the, I'm sure they listened to Enslaved. Uh, I mean, I'm sure they listened to like all that black, like to Avski or whatever, right when it's coming out. I'm sure they listened to. You know, they're clearly not part of this new generation of people who don't listen to the Norse stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes sense. The reason I think Migla is just like, uh, the, the the sense I have is that, well, first of all, they're just exactly from that neck of the woods, from Belarus. Mm-hmm. These guys could have seen Migla live like 10 times. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. they could be <laughs> friends with the guys in, they could be friends with the guys in that band. Um, and they're, uh, and I get the sense that this record is an attempt to do, it doesn't sound any, like, this is one of the tracks that sounds most like that. Many songs throughout here have nothing that could be considered a Migla riff. So it might not be central for their sound at all, but on this track, for sure, like that big break where the blast riff comes in, that, And then you agreed that like the more sort of rocking thing after it sounds pretty Megla. That's um, very Megla. Yeah. The one after. So that. the things that it really it doesn't necessarily sound like Megla specifically, but that like big elaborate riff 
which is basically in written in Migla Minor, but is a lot more <laughs> complex. Sounds exactly, sounds like really like the kind of stuff that's written in the immediate social circle of Megla. Like the guys who play live in Megla have these other bands, like Over the Voids or uh, Ashes or um, Owls Woods Graves, and they all have a similar ear. Mm, okay. Um, like you can tell they're kind of like slightly younger than the dude from Megla and profoundly interested in that shit, but like doing their own thing. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there really is that it, people don't really talk about it as a scene, but that, that, that has a, it's a scene with its own idiom. Uh, it's the malignant voices scene. We reviewed the evil seven ten seventeen ten from that way back at the beginning of Terminus. Oh, that was like the second yeah. episode or some yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was doing something that was a little outside that sphere. They were consciously trying to do kind of a black and roll thing. Um, but so this sounds like it's part this could belong to part of that scene, but it could equally belong to the scene around Putrid Cult, right? Yeah, like, Putrid Cult, I definitely got off this. When you like mentioned older that veteran yeah. dudes, older veteran dudes from the Western part of Eastern Europe who are want to make stuff that is sort of uh, um, difficult and not accommodated to contemporary trends. Yeah. Um, the funny thing is, I think your sample actually skipped the part that sounds most like Sonic Youth, but it's at the beginning of the track. Listeners can find it. And the thing it really sounds like often is the stuff on Sister and the most slayery stuff off Daydream Nation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so let's go to, um, for some of the more black, nasty black and rollish stuff, let's go to my next sample. This is uh, where spheres myroblice with pus. Uh, lysine is when a cell breaks. So I'm guessing this has something to do with that. Um, we're going to build to a really rocking part, but you're going to hear it. it's not like... Um, it doesn't have any of the goofy quality that some of that stuff had back in the day.
Yeah, because most of the black and roll bands wouldn't be willing to get that kind of country and bluesy. That's true. I mean, they would throw in kind of bluesy licks and it'd be kind of cringe. Um, but I know they, what you mean. They would not just you know, it bear down pant. on a whole... Yeah, they wouldn't bear it, down on a whole riff like that. It usually accidentally sounds like Pantera. Yeah. Yeah, that riff is really cool because it's, yeah, full bore, kind of like bluesy, bluesy southern rock or doom metal or whatever. Um and so it, it has that it has that American influence, and you can almost you could trace it back to black music even, right? But it also has it also sounds Nordic, like it sounds like pagan. You could get a riff, kind of like that on a Bathory record, um, and it's uh, and it, it's it, it's a composite riff. Right? You've got the greasy sort of blues slides. Oh, the other thing that sets it apart, like you were saying about them fully committed to it, is that it really has that kind of musician y inflection in the grace notes there. The You know what the the real difference is? Downcross actually respects that riff. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's not like, oh, we're, we're like. That was the thing with black and roll. It's like we're we're a little bit too cool for this, which is what makes it cool when we play this. Downcross is like, no, this is good music. Oh, you know, the other bands also just associated riffs like that with a certain kind of really flat affect, which is like goat sex and booze or whatever. Yeah. Like, and they're playing them in the way mid to late era Dark Throne played things, which is like dragging power chords around, right? And so the, you can hear the respect for that riff in the way they play it. Just yeah. the sort of like the trilled grace notes and shit. Or not trilled, but the, the kind of the bending and the... and, and the, the little swing time thing going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and, and so that has the bluesiness in it. And then the turnarounds, although the turnarounds would all fit in blues scales... That just descent to the minor seventh, dumb, dumb, and then coming back at the end to dumb, dumb, right? That is... That's straight um, Conan shit, yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's Conan blues, which you can trace back to the Stooges in some sense, but like... (laughs) Everything comes back to the Stooges with you. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's people with a deep respect for the blues doing something else, right? Um, But like also the... um, but also Bathory, and I think even more relevant, if you take the whole riff in its compound form, the whole thing is a Danzig riff. Mm. Um, it's really close to the riff to Am I Demon. Mm. Um, and that's just something I want to say here real quick. Danzig is an underrated, rare reference point in extreme metal. Why? Because he's kind of cringe. Why do people think that? Danzig's like the coolest dude ever. <laughs> well, he uh, he's got a glass jaw, and okay, he had okay. and he had his Facebook hacked, and he uh, insisted that he did not eat hot dogs or his own cum. Uh, he's got fifty cats. Uh, <laughs> he, he 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 has a lot of bricks in his yard. Um, he has random sex parties. Okay, I see what you mean. Um, <laughs> 
however, the fifty cats is cool, but you know. However, that's all kind of metal. <laughs> he's he's like the ultimate out of touch. He's like out of touch boomer dad of metal. Um, and I think he's kind of actually a weird antisocial hermit. Um, like I've heard a lot of the. See, this is the thing. Danzig is more of a reference point in the punk scene. Yeah. And more of a reference point. And the punks all make fun of him, too, because they think he's too metal and that the ways he's cringe are metal. <laughs> um, but, like, uh, you know, um, you know, to be fair, I think the glass jaw thing is a bit of a cheap shot because it was Danzig trying to live his myth. Danzig gets backed into a corner and he's just suddenly feels like he has to act like his own Conan character. And he's like fucking. <laughs> He's like 55 at least at that point. And he just sort of tough guys it in front of this dude and gets knocked the fuck out. The guy was like twice his weight. What do you expect? Like, I'm not saying it was a prudent decision uh, or a level-headed one, but I, I will dancing apologist on this. Everybody listening, let the black metal guy know in the comments how that was... That was that was actually not cool, <laughs> and how well, he no, totally to fair, earned Danzig it. Did, Danzig did sort of. It was, I don't like Danzig was like what was it? The guy was mad that Danzig like. The guy was mad that Danzig bumped him from the set from like the show because of some sort of like weird rock star bullshit about time, right? I, I can't write it's been years since I've seen the video, but I, I can firmly remember that Danzig was definitely the fucking asshole in this situation. Danzig definitely like started the physical aggression. Um <laughs> Well, yeah, this isn't okay. a Danzig podcast, so it's um okay, that's our well. that's our second podcast for uh <laughs> For $120 and up, you can gain access to that through the Terminus we, uh, Patreon. <laughs> we review every, um, what, what is it, every comic in the uh, Verotic series, um, the adult-oriented publishing company pioneered by Danzig. For that kind um, of money, shit, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but anyway, point being, um, Danzig, uh, irrespective of his... Uh, personal shortcomings um made some really good records um and records that both had that like you know i mean went back to like went back through rock and roll to howlin wolf and also had that teutonic extreme music thing carried over from the later misfits uh and this band nails that and i think musically it, it it has a lot to offer people that they just ignore that's fair. I mean, Danzig does legitimately have some excellent kind of weirdo off-center kind of uh, primitive goth heavy metal stuff. Um, yeah. And I, I, I could see these guys actually listening to that. Um, well, honestly, I could see these guys listening to anything, you know? Yeah. This is a record that is all over the place, but in a good way. It feels contiguous with itself, but it, the the influences are just everywhere on this thing. Um, so, which leads us to, are they the the section that uh, I guess you're calling the uh, 
are the, they actually listening to or what what are they actually listening to and the uh the just kind of crazy one-off nature the very specialized song structures so I want to go to the uh, second to last track on the record, which I think is actually my favorite on the album, Invariant Fall of the Doomed. So let's listen to this and ask yourself the question, holy shit, are they actually listening to Ultra by Spite Extreme Wing? So we just listened to that sample and we argued the entire time during it. Um, yeah. So it's interesting. I, I think this is kind of a, a Rorschach test situation because there's parts of that where I was like, oh, dude, this is Ultra by Spite Extreme Wing. And you were like, no, dude, it's it's totally McGlaw. It, it still fits in with that. And we can both kind of be right on that, but I'm... I'm kind of curious because that that big cowboy riff, that second riff in that sample is I can't point to anything except Ultra for that. The Wait, which one was it? It was the 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 second big glassy riff with all those open notes after the kind of like windier style riff. Okay, okay, I'm already on that one. Let's go to the next one. Oh, yeah, no, that's the one that sounds most like something on Ultra. They wouldn't, Spider Extreme would do it rhythmically very differently. I don't think they do the kind of big, big rock and backbeat thing 
But I hear what you mean about the chording. The jangling kind of. So it's the third riff in. And it's the jangling kind of. Yeah, my my spurs are tinkling on the New Mexico sand, dude. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I hear that. Um, it's, uh, it is kind of just a rock and roll riff, but I get that it's the kind, but it sounds very epic in a non-rock and rolly way. So I get how that connects to Ultra. Yeah, it's, it's give, that Ennio Morricone stuff. One. I'll give yeah. you that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> how, stuff, how gracious and magnanimous. <laughs> I think the stuff towards the end with the, uh, you know, like the turnarounds, like, you know, one has that kind of like cat, the one right before it that you called a windier has this like da, 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 turn around that is very windier, but is also very Migla. The end has the end of the last couple variations. It, the, the whole song is basically variations on one series of like big rolling rock riffs, right? Um, yeah, but and, if we're talking about big rolling rock riffs, the context and the timbre and everything makes a big difference. I mean, no, 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 I agree. I'm just trying to like say that there it's kind of like a series of variations on one essential groove. And towards the end, they start turning around in this kind of like blood, blood way, which is a super Migla thing to do. Um, it's um I'm not accusing this band of like trying to sound like you know I mean you know that I'm often very critical of bands that try to sound like Megla. Mm-hmm. Um I think this is a and I could be wrong, you know, like I could be totally wrong because it sounds like these guys listen to tons of stuff, right? Um you know, maybe all of the things that I think sound like that do come just from Enslaved and Windier, right? Um or uh yeah, I mean, all sorts of things. But um, it, it in some ways, this seems like a record that does a lot of the things that Migla is famous for. Like having sort of like big, sort of, it, it has these kind of grandiose epic parts with big, op- big simple, open minor lead parts and arpeggios. But it, it has something to do with rock as well, right? Migla got really rocky over mm-hmm. the years. Um, I mean especially on exercises, uh, but it's kind of always had that. This band kind of has those essential elements, but in a really different configuration with much uglier uglier power chord riffing and much more sort of... Eh, Migla plays very physically too, but much more sort of openly and, you know, sort of hairy physicality. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I, I don't know. So... If they do, I mean, if they actually listen to Spike Extreme Wing, they would be maybe the second band <laughs> to. Well, yeah, we've, we all, said, we've said we, that we, it's a band we were contractually obligated to mention them ten times a year at least. <laughs> I think those were the terms. I have to look at the paperwork again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but um. We but so like we we mention them a lot because we think people should be listening to them more. But almost every time we say, "Oh, do these guys listen to it?" They're like, "Uh, no, never heard of them." Or like one of those bands where you mentioned it for, they were like, "Never heard of them before, but checked them out. They're pretty good." <laughs> <laughs> the uh, only guy I know who actually listened to them is um the dude from uh uh Nudstong and Perquinas. Hmm. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. But anyway, okay, so I guess that we'll have to leave this to, um, this is a debate that only Downcross can decide. So dudes, let us know. Um, <laughs> uh, here's, um, for the last sample, I want to go back to the first track. And this is another, you can tell me I'm wrong about this, because maybe this is all from Grand Declaration. Um, but the first track is Trumpet Salute the Demise of Death. Um, and, uh... You could say that some of the dis that the dissident stuff on here is coming from Sonic Youth, but at time and obviously Grand Declaration for some of them, uh, some of it sounds really informed by like um, Sorin's Apocalypse and Angel, especially on this track, um, and uh, just and and but that feeling is strongest here and it's like each track will have these distinct reference points and riffing styles uh so here's back to the first major track <laughs> those like rock riffs the first one was like like a jump to fuck up riff <laughs> wasn't it yeah kind of uh it's like a, there, like I a, mean, there's a lot of different kinds of riffs on that sample yeah one thing that i you know i mean we've kind of said it but thing to really emphasize the thing that's good about this band is they have a basic concept for the kind of thing they're trying to do and then aside from that there are absolutely no rules
All right, we are back with our final record of the night. And, uh, you know, if we're talking old school Terminus, it wouldn't be old school Terminus without a uh, brutal death metal kicker on the end, like a uh, final shot at the end of the night at the bar. Um, yeah, a final <laughs> shot across the bow of good taste. <laughs> exactly. And this time we have the debut full length, finally, by Perceptions of Torment from Gulfport, Mississippi. Third Coast representer, Mississippi Sip and Lean. Um, so uh, full disclosure up front, Perceptions of Torment are friends of mine. I have played a few shows with them, and one time they crashed on my floor uh, at my apartment playing a show down here in Florida. Nice. Oh, they're great guys. Very, very cool dudes. Um, we've been friends with them for uh, a fair number of years now. And so Perceptions of Torment originally did their first EP called Hymns of the Grotesque Mind back in 2015. That got a re-release on Severed Records, uh, I think, early last year or late 2020. Mm-hmm. And finally, seven years later, we have the the full-length record Elegance in Postmortem, also, again, released on Severed Records. And... Uh, I was very excited to see it. I, you know, these guys have been, you know, I, I, I've always thought of as like unsung gems in the brutal death scene. Not just related to my connection to them, but just objectively, they are excellent. So I was very excited to see them come out, come out with, you know, a, a real record. And uh, I gotta say, the results, you know, speak for themselves. Uh, this is an outstanding sort of Texas-style brutal death record. Um, wonderful riffing, wonderful kind of breakdowns and slams, and kind of some configurations that are unique to this band in particular. Um, all wrapped around a, a core style that is their own. You know, I, you know, I'm a practiced guy within this circle. But I would say at this point, I don't think I would confuse Perceptions of Torment for any other band. Um, Over the years, they have really established their own sound. And uh, it's just it's wonderful to hear these songs that I kind of vaguely remember played live finally put to recording. Um, Yeah, no, I'm (laughs) I'm a mark for this. I love this shit. So what did you think, Black Little Guy? Well... I don't think I have any really hot takes for this. I think you're going to have to walk me through this one in some ways. Um, it's um, it's one of those things that it doesn't have the kind of strangeness of the more avant-brutal uh, avant stuff on New Standard Elite, right? Of your exterminateds mm-hmm. or induced, right? Or molecular fragmentation or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, it doesn't instantly turn me off in the way that some of the straight slam stuff does uh Mm -hmm. or things closer to that spectrum uh closer to that end of the spectrum um i think i basically respect what this is and i could maybe help use some help getting my hooks in it um a thing i like about it is that it is um well well it's a it's it's challenging in the way that this music should be challenging for non-brutal death people because the production is kind of like uh 
in some sense, it has that deliberately sterile, brutal death sound. Um, it has a drum machine, right? Uh, yeah. Which is, I, as I you believe noted, this is a drum machine. Yeah. Not attempting to disguise the fact it's a drum machine, which is always the best thing. Um, uh, but like, and then the the guitar sound, you know, it doesn't have the, you know, the the sort of. Uh, grave dirt or you know plywood two by four <laughs> sound of the early 90s right but it has a kind of old school death metal dryness that you would not get in modern brutal death um it sounds inorganic in a way that's difficult for me sort of like loudness war flat production but not in the way that was clicky and really annoying in the early 2000s which seems to really be the uh, focal point for this band, a certain kind of early 2000s sound. So it's like that. It's like the early 2000s brutal death, but with more of a grounding and older stuff. Um, and I, I think I basically like it sonically. It's like you know we all have we each have our kinds of abrasive production we prefer. This is difficult for me. Um, hmm. But the uh, um, but. You know, the the more I can focus on it, uh, the more there's a lot to like here. Um, one thing, um, you know, yeah, the, the old school dryness sets it apart from, say, big flabby slam type stuff. Or like yeah. digital bit crushed slam type stuff. Um, I, I guess, yeah, like, what... Um, and you said there's a lot of hardcore on here, and I can definitely hear that, but it's in a very uh, technical framework. Yeah. Uh, so, Perceptions is, I think, a sort of a definitive example of the uh, the Texas brutal death style, um, which we haven't talked a lot about on the show, but really is kind of a distinct scene unto itself. Um, you know, they call it... TXDM, you know, Texas death metal, which is an interesting note because everything labeled TXDM is brutal death metal. And that kind of suggests something in and of itself uh. you know, um, that these guys see brutal death metal as just a part of death metal lineage, right. you know. Um, so what defines Texas death metal? Uh, I would say so. Obviously, we have stuff like Necrovore in the background. But realistically, what we're talking about now is sort of an elaboration off of New York death metal. Uh, the hardcore influence is still present, but I would say it's more more integrally incorporated into the death metal substrate. You know, mm -hmm. if you listen to, say, a band like Internal Bleeding or Reputilation or something, the hardcore parts, the hardcore parts kind of stand out. Um, here, not so much. They fuse a little bit better into death metal, sort of like very early deathcore in a way. Um, additionally, uh, I would say there's a technical flair uh, that you, I mean, you can hear in a sense in suffocation, but it's really brought out in the Texas style. So you've got this conjunction of these really aggressive sort the, of... The technicality and suffocation is more sort of finessed musicianship stuff kind of mm -hmm. like weird you know like uh, 
weird harmonies in places that seem like too fast to throw them in yeah. or whatever. Whereas like this is much more like when people think of technical brutal death metal, this is like, you know, um, convoluted riffs with lots of notes in them. But it is not masturbatory. No, there's a, there's definitely like melodic ideas to a lot of this. Um, I the thing that I've always compared this band to, um, and I've told them this because they were big fans of this band, was uh, Insidious Decrepancy, which is a uh, a Texas one man band from Sean Whitaker that was very influential in the uh, in the two thousands to the rest of the Texas death metal scene. Um, so you've got the technical flair, but I, I would say like the main thing is that Texas death metal is distinctly mosh music. Mm. Even when it's techie, you're supposed to fight people in the pit to it. Um, and mm. I think that really comes across on this record. Like even, well, I'll get into the whole idea of like the, the rigidity of what we think is a drum machine. Um, but let's listen. Let's listen to a song. Let's listen to a song with big jump to fuck up riffs. <laughs> so we're going to listen to uh, the back two thirds of Immersed in Blood. This is a short record. This is under a half hour, um, but it really it stays pretty well. So with Immersed in Blood, I know I was saying so unlike internal bleeding, you know, this has the hardcore more incorporated. But here, this is a track that is clearly derived from internal bleeding circa driven to conquer it's fucking sick and uh let's listen to it So, I mean, you can't listen to those stop-start internal bleeding riffs without, you know, trying to kill your pets in your apartment, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that is, um, had, had I pets, they would be, uh, you know. 
I have a cat to bury right now. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's that's true. He's been giving you some trouble. Um, the um, uh, that is um. <laughs> All right. You want to play hardball, Wilkins? Um, exactly. I love. I think I've said it before, but I love how Wilkins is like a third mic on the podcast at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's um, he, he's our he's our second intern. Um, yeah. The the um, but yeah. So so yeah. No, that that is very sick, and it's funny because I wanted when I first listened through it, that's one of the songs that immediately stood out to me, and I was like, oh, I want to sample that one, and I was like, oh, death metal guy got it. Um, and when we finished the sample. The parts that really caught me were at the beginning of the song, but when I finished the sample, I went back and checked the beginning of the song, and it does look like a lot of that stuff repeats towards the end. Yeah. Um, so I thought the most impressive part there was that kind of um, rolling double bass hardcore thing with the just ridiculous, imperceptibly fast runs over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the blasting part where he just kind of rasps. The vocals here are quite good. And oh, dude, uh, the vocals sort of are... get out of stereotypical uh, guttural stuff at times. Like, that rasp thing could have been, it was almost like a sort of Black Death vocal. Uh, I will say that Chris on vocals is remarkable um it's like all like just brutal exhaled stuff uh just he's got a a sense of tone to him and a sense of really like ferocity and aggression that is kind of you know in the pursuit of more brutal tones uh, within brutal death metal and slam death and stuff uh, a lot of people have kind of gotten away from just sheer violence in their vocal mm -hmm. performance. Mm -hmm. And Chris is a guy that manages to have those guttural tones, but to really go out, you know, in terms of intensity. And I think that really shines through. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I can hear that. And so this stop start is the wonder parts, right? Dun, 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 dun. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that's totally internal bleeding, like a uh, Driven to Conquer era, uh, Extinction of Benevolence era. Um, really cool stuff that you don't really hear anymore, not even in kind of hardcore bands, really. You probably do, but like we're just not paying that close attention to hardcore anymore. You get stuff like that. There's yeah, a band true. called Vamach Vamachara that I like a lot from California. That uh, are they still well, going on? Yeah, they're. I think they're content. Yeah, I think they have had new records that I've missed. But um, they they do shit like that. You know. Um. Uh, yeah, June twenty twenty one. They had one. Mm. But um, I know what you mean. Uh, it's. So, so it has those. Well, it is very two thousands, you know. Yeah, like what from the two thousand? So internal, uh, internal bleeding is one from the early two thousands. Not stuff like skinless, though, right? Not quite. Uh, skinless that, would definitely that's more be more slayery and also more syncopated. Yeah, but I think it would be a lot of like very early deathcore stuff. 
Um, mm-hmm. It would be like early despised icon, you know. Um, there's this whole network of, you know, <laughs> there was this whole network, especially in the 2000s, of bands. It's like, as long as we don't say the term deathcore, it's okay to incorporate. And uh, what, what about, um, so so what is like the TXDM band? Because you've, you've mentioned that sort of in the margins a few times on this show as being connected to the more hardcore, brutal death stuff. I mean, I, I think that it would be a different answer for anyone who followed that scene. Um, as far as defining Texas like stuff death metal. from the early 2000s, say. Uh, I would say yeah, because in terms of the in terms of the more hardcorey or death metal-y side of brutal death, the stuff that I'm more inclined to like, aside from the really sort of avant stuff that's out now, um, I would say right. You give me the New York. There's certain kinds of the New York bands like Internal Bleeding. There's the Japanese stuff, and then there's this Texas stuff. I would say a band like Prophecy. Uh, they did a record mm-hmm. called Our Domain. I think that was 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very defining Texas death metal. Uh, ton T O N is pretty defining. That's Texas. a good name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course, uh, I mean, I- I'm talking about stuff that's a little bit more underground, but is distinctly Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean like prophecies, our domain is a, a record about the Texas death metal scene. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it is our domain. Um, oh, I see. And then, of course, you know, devourment, molesting the decapitated. But I'm trying to concentrate on stuff that's more specific to Texas. Mm-hmm. Insidious decrepancy, um, you know, uh, decadent orgy of atrocious suffering, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, lots of great bands from the Texas scene, but, uh, you know, not a lot of people know about them. This is all 2000s kind of stuff. Mm hmm. Word. Well, uh,. You should go to uh, my sample now. Yeah, let's do um, So this is uh, Purgation Equation. It's track six. Um, there's some stuff in the middle of the record that I can't really get my hooks in. Um, yeah, I've, some of the a couple of the songs in the middle are much more just like very techy, very straightforward. You know, alienating shit. From Beneath seems like, Trek 5, From Beneath in particular, seemed like more of a slam song. Uh, definitely. Like, like, not like cephalotripsy, you know, ooga booga slams, but like early, <laughs> early more dense and, you know, early slams with more notes in them. Uh, yeah, well, so, the, I mean, this record uh, is, you know, the the tracks from the EP re-recorded with more tracks to make a full length. Oh, so you've got a, kind of a I split see. between older and newer material here. So the older stuff might be more slammy. Uh, to a degree, I would say, okay. yeah. Well, that's the only track that really jumped out to me. It's like, okay, this is kind of slammy. But I, I would say that was the one I had the hardest time getting into. But Purgation Equation comes after that, and, you know... A thing that we've gotten in some of the Brutal Death bands that I've liked and that this band does pretty much as their default setting is the uh, Lawn Sprinkler Mosh Riff.
Let's go. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I can almost hum that one. Um, but, um, uh, that one actually, like, that one has very kind of clearly defined and memorable riffs. And the cool thing about it is that because they're so complicated, I can't even hum them to myself. So I have to listen to the track. Um, but more than that, you got that sort of the lawn sprinkler feel on a lot of those, like, you know, or the sort of you're, you're moshing like you're driving a truck with that's really big. And so the wheel is like, you know, like your entire arm radius, yeah. uh, you know, big one arm swing in front of you. Um, it's just kind of like um, the first two riffs in particular. It just starts from a really rapid sort of like rolling double bass barrage and then just settles into the same kind of groove at half the time. Um, it's yeah. That shit is pretty cool, and I was telling you as we were listening, like, the blast part about a minute in um, takes motifs that are already there from the kind of more uh, more chuggy stuff and sort of transforms them into a complicated, cool trem riff. Um, there's a lot of good... Maybe they show up more as the record goes on, but there's a lot of good trem riffs on this. Uh, yeah, there's... That, and by that I mean, like, blast beat and more... In some sense, the whole record is in tremolo, basically. But, like, <laughs> blast blast beat and non-muted trem. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of cool trem stuff across this record. Uh, specifically because uh, Charlie, the guitarist, is not forgetting about, uh, you know, creating meaningful melodic structures even as he's going super tech, doing all these crazy trills and stuff. You know, there's an invested idea to keeping everything within a song contiguous, which is going to be important for the next sample. Um, another thing that I think is distinct about this band, uh, especially now, this is a very, like, early, mid-2000s technique but is kind of forgotten these days, unfortunately, is really fast, down-picked palm mute riffs. Sort of like slams played way too quickly. You know, breakdowns played way too fast, which is like really aggressive, down-picked palm mute stuff. Is that like the riff towards the end of the riff towards the end of the sample? Uh, I, I, not that one, but there was one toward the middle that was just like a really fucking fast down picked palm mute riff. Sort of like these are guys who are not forgetting about Metallica and Megadeth as they make brutal death metal. Um, so it's like entirely down picked. Uh, yeah. From seeing Charlie play, uh, basically I, I think that Charlie's philosophy playing guitar is to, if anything can be downpicked, it will be downpicked. And then otherwise, <laughs> it, otherwise it's trem, you know? <laughs> I'm so not. So his like default eighth note is downpicked. I, I believe so, you know? Cool. Uh, uh, because it's basically either down pick or tremolo. There's no okay, well, gray area stuff. <laughs> then I think he was doing that with the, the riff towards the end, which I was going to say was a perfect sort of middle ground between beat down and a slam. It was a sort of like yeah. complicated beat down riff that sort of moved up in a way that a lot of those don't. <coughs> and it was very kind of like proto slam. 
Yeah, no, it's like, uh, these guys are interesting because these are older guys. You know, I think they're, I think all the guys in this oh, band. That, for non, before we move to that, for non, explain for non-musicians what it entails to downpick everything. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's more than twice as hard. Y- you would think it's twice as hard, but it's really like three and a half times as hard. So, you know, in terms of like palm muted riffs, um, in black metal, for instance, a lot of the time, uh, you'll alternate pick those kind of palm muted riffs because you kind of like that jangle effect, right? You sweep one down and then one up and you're trying to get like continuous flow to it. Yeah. But for a lot of the death metal guys, they really dedicate themselves to, I want that low E note or whatever you're tuned to, to be the attack note on every chord of this riff. So if you listen to a guy like Charlie on this record, you can tell, oh, we're down picking all of this, which is so fucking difficult on the right hand to do consistently. Because I can like down pick, I can down pick everything if I'm doing like a slow break, something that has like a, a heavy downward kind of doomish breakdown thing in a hardcore song. I might downpick everything. Or I also put them in black metal songs. Um, but, uh, you know, like, I might downpick everything there. But, yeah, I remember I have a friend who's a much better musician and was suggesting sometimes the really stompy, hardcore black metal, you're actually downpicking everything in some of the Iljarn-based stuff. Ding, dang, 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 dang. You're, like, you're like doing it on, like, the upbeat, but it's, like, dang 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 yeah but like but yeah i can't even do that so to imagine doing this is like insane yeah and then you get into the guys that are really into brutal death that are dedicated to down picking and they're doing it on riffs like mm-hmm. yeah it's like yeah or faster than that there, right. there's guys the doing, downstroke yeah. and winding it back up and going it again at like yeah yeah, at, you know, 200 BPM, which, again, doesn't sound like much until you try it. And then you realize, Dude, oh, what, my God, what if you could jerk off that way. <sighs> I've been working on that for years. So the unclean mind. Great song. Uh, probably my favorite perceptions of torment track. Uh Remember how when we covered that Concrete Winds record late last year, I was talking about bow-like song structures? Mm-hmm. The idea of that you've got a, a sort of anchor point and everything is sort of going out and coming back into that anchor point. I think that's a consistent thing across this record. And it really comes out on this track. This is one of the old ones from the EP that's been updated. Um, phenomenal song. So let's listen to, uh, I believe this sample starts with the sort of anchor riff for the whole song, and that it's going to go out and it's going to reel itself back in, in a really cool way.
So yeah, you can see how that sort of proto slam riff that dude, the way they came back into that at the end, they returned they played two variations on it, right? When they spilled into it out of the blast beat, they started playing that riff with like an opposite time emphasis from the way they normally play. Yeah, dude, it's so cool. To the normal version. Dude, it's 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 totally out of nowhere. There's like really, I mean, preaching at the fucking choir here. The same shit that I always say about brutal death on the show. It's like it's all about those subtleties. It's all about those little time changes. You know, these little flares that these guys put into the music. I mean, the riffs themselves, obviously, I love, but you know, the magic is found in those liminal spaces, those little adjustments that make it so much cooler if you're really sitting down and paying attention. But yeah, tell them about that. Uh, tell them about the bow-like structure, because I, I cut you off to point out that one last little thing. Oh, no, you're good. Uh, so uh, I, I guess I talked about this the first time when we covered the Concrete Winds record last year. Uh, so when I say bow-like, I'm saying that there is a, a central riff or a central motif, um, sort of like a chorus, but not functioning in the same way but rather a riff or a musical idea that is an anchor point that the uh, the band uh, moves out from and ends up looping back to. Um, what, I, I mean, what makes it distinct from a chorus? I mean, more riffs. Usually people will go, you know, in this kind of structure, three, four riffs out before looping back into it. Um and I think this is a It's also just not necessarily like catchy. Or it's not catchy in the way that a chorus is, rather. So the the, the anchor riff here is not like uh I don't know, it's not like a big trem riff and it's not a regular breakdown. It's a sort of complicated arcing semi you know, semi slam, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, oh, and the other thing you pointed out is it's a seed for a lot of stuff that happens during the part where it bows out, right? So that riff has basically the basic idea is this kind of like series of downward, series of downward chord slides. It kind of like, it, it bears down really hard at the beginning you know yeah you know it's like a i mean that's just a half step at the beginning it's just like a, a primitive idea of breakdowns so that goes back to slayer and shit but um they 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 sort of build the entire phrase around that and then once it like like sex tuples the speed or whatever <laughs> you can still hear those basic descending figures in all the whiplash trem riffs yeah, and there's also so you know, much... You know, it goes like... It, it goes like... <laughs> well, yeah, and there's also so much, like, subtle variation uh, that occurs with the drum machine. Um, mm-hmm. I assume it's a drum machine, you know. If there's a drummer, well, you know, good on you. But uh, uh, there's a lot of subtle rhythmic variation that gives more juice to a lot of these riffs, kind of in a black metal style. But uh, in a way that like more fundamentally reinterprets the 
uh, sort of rhythmic emphasis of, of a lot of these sort of proto-slam riffs. It's really interesting. We, you know, it's a kind of technique that, again, was very popular in like the mid-2000s, but it's been kind of forgotten these days. Yeah, so, I mean, so another thing is that, like, this track again... Um, I thought of as one of the obvious highlights and was going to pick it, and then you had also chosen that one. <laughs> um, so I think there's something about the unclean mind and immersed in blood that really stands out. And I would say for my personal taste, I find this track, you know, you said in the notes how this is much more legible than a lot of things in this style. These two tracks in particular, um, I think, have that. Um, and... Uh, you know, this this song has a bunch of really difficult riffs in it, but it's extremely um, immediate and catchy in a way that some of the others aren't. So, I mean, I would love to hear more shit like this on a future effort from them. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's one of the cool things about Perceptions is uh, the, the relative legibility of these songs. Like, uh, compared to something like, say, Exterminated, which is just completely fucking illegible to anyone who's not already versed in the style. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, perceptions as extreme and aggressive as it is, is very readable. I would say there's a, a certain clarity of form that really sticks out. Yeah. Th- this does, this does have that at least in there. I don't always get that from this band in part because I'm it, it'll, I mean, the stand out more to you because you're a connoisseur of the style. I don't always get that from this band if I'm being like really like yeah. strict about which parts hook me. Um, but certainly those two tracks do. And then the other tracks that I picked are ones, you know, where I really started paying attention to it. I could also hear that clarity and yeah. presumably a brutal death aficionado or even just someone who listens to more technical, more death metal than I do might pick that up better than me. Um, so, uh, um, you know, also that track did have some exterminated 16th note runs on it, The Unclean Mind. Some of the yeah. more modern, new standard elite kind of uh, 16th palm mute runs, and it, they sounded really good. Um, but yeah, let's go to, um, so this is the, uh, I think the last, no, uh, last track before the outro, and it, uh, in a Smashing Pumpkins tribute, it's called The Killer Within. <laughs> Yeah. 
Okay, you know, I want to slightly retract what I said, because this track is also really immediately catchy to me. Yeah, <laughs> this is a really good one. This might be the most melodic one on the record. Um, th- this is closer to a, you know, regular death metal or even black death sense of melody. You know, like... Um, uh, the thing that really stands out about it at the beginning is that they do this 6-8 uh, to 4-4 four, four trading. Um, there's a, which is, uh, you know, something that was conventional in the 90s when everyone in black and death metal was copying from Slayer. But, it, like, Altar of Sacrifice or whatever. But is a lot less... Um, at least in black metal, seems to be much less common now. Like, you'll have your your song in triple time or your song in 4-4, uh, and they don't... There aren't so many sudden drops between the two. The rapid trading at the beginning of this stands out, and I'm not used to hearing that kind of galloping triple time in Brutal Death. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's a thing that is kind of essential to... Again, like 2000 style Brutal Death. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, nowadays, you listen to a Brutal Death band and you're swapping between a shit ton of time signatures very quickly. Or you're just sticking in 4-4. Right, right. But this... You know, there's something to the idea that this middle ground um, has a lot to offer. You know, uh, obviously the guys in this band are technically extremely proficient, but there's holding back periodically. There's a real sense of musicality that you don't find in a lot of brutal death bands. And I think that's what kind of makes this special. You know, this, uh, the immediacy, the idea that these are songs that people should be able to mosh to. Yeah, th- so structurally here also, like, the other great part of th- the entire thing is thematically related. Yeah. Um, it's, um, th- they have that first kind of, like, frantic, you know, brutal death as thrash riff. Um, and, or, or they have that rather slower trading. Then they go into the more sort of blasty part. Um, and uh, then they slow down a lot. And they start to get this, like, cascading downward... You know, they get this sort of off-kilter slow chug with this downward cascading melodic riff. And that really sounds like immolation. Um, And it starts to be like, oh, are they going to develop it in this direction? That would be really cool. And then they just stop and key change it to some degree and then just start playing an even crazier version on the blast riff, version of the blast riff, which is, again, like, the cool kind of, like, monged shit that 80s thrash bands would do, right? They'd be like, you think it's going to be the cool immolation riff? Cancelled. Um, and then even when they go to the slam at the end, um, the slam is in triple time, which calls back the... Uh, it's like an indirect callback of the field of the beginning. It's really, you know, really smart. You know God made black beautiful. God made booby beautiful. Black and strong. And when Booby knocks some fools out, Booby gonna knock him out with black knights on his feet. Ain't that right? And I'ma smile when I do. Yeah, yeah. I'm distinguished now. 
Hey, boo. What? You didn't live. Come on, man. This is God giving. Only thing I got to do is just show yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A superhero in the flesh. Even at my worst, I'm the best for the finish I stretch. When they advance me this check, could've bought my way to heaven, but I blow it on my neck instead. What you expect when you ain't had shit and they ain't paying half of what you asking? Couldn't even see the pussy, even if it's casting. Now the hoes are down for taking pictures, cause you're flashing. You can't even imagine, maybe Kim Kardashian. Number one song in the Grammy, now I'm smashing. Maserati crashing, twerving through the traffic. Wrapping round a pole, sell a meal off the tragedy. I defy gravity, flyer than I have to be. Talking to the Lord, I can't stay. Who gon' say? Up after me. It's like a torn ACL to an athlete. Who be miles Friday light capture me in my Jordan Dennis Rodman's in my hometown. Yeah. 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 